This morning, we're going to look at the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. We'll look at two verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you would, please take a Bible in hand and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll look at verses 20 and 21. If you're using one of the Bibles in the Purack, you can find this morning's passage on 966. There's two things that we'll want to look at in these two verses. We want to be reminded of the Christian message and mission. And here the Apostle Paul gives it to us very profoundly and clearly and succinctly. That will be our focus of our attention this morning before we hear God's word read and proclaimed. Let us ask for his help in prayer Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. It's your word about your Son, delivered through your Apostle. We ask that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. We ask that your word, by your Spirit working among us, would transform our lives, transform our thinking, shape our hearts, help us to grow in your grace, help us to be more like your son, help us to live for your kingdom purposes. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear the word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. And that ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write the eternal truth on all of our hearts. 2 Corinthians is probably the Apostle Paul's most personal letter. He had planted the church there in the ancient city of Corinth in 51 AD, in AD 51. At the time that this letter was delivered, he probably had been away for about five years. And since he had been away, the Corinthian believers have encountered more dynamic leaders than the Apostle Paul, more impressive teachers and preachers, more eloquent in their speech. And through this, they're beginning to question Paul's ministry. But what we can gather from this letter is that it's more than just criticism, there seems to be Within this congregation, a rising opposition to Paul's ministry. Because they've heard these powerful preachers, the message that Paul plainly and simply taught them begins to feel insufficient. Because they look at his life and in his, his example, and they see all the suffering that he is ex- experiencing in ministry, they wonder if 
his ministry is effective. He's viewed as weak. And that's what's behind the writing of this letter. Paul's giving a defense of his ministry and message. And here, he very powerfully and simply explains his message and his mission. It is the heart of the letter, and it articulates the foundation and the heart of Christian ministry and teaching and mission. So it's instructive for us as we think about being the body of Christ and as we are gathered together as a people, what we do together, this and other passages, but especially passages like this, help us set our priorities as a church family in the world today. But that isn't going to be my focus particularly. I want us to think about as more as we are sent out from this place. I want you to consider this morning how this passage directs and equips and encourages ordinary Christians to engage in personal evangelism. In personal evangelism. Now, to define what is evangelism, just to be clear, Here's a helpful definition. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. And you may say, that's not me. I'm not gifted at teaching. Well, here, for the purpose of this definition, what I mean by teaching, what is meant by teaching is explaining the gospel. But I do want to include to persuade someone to become a Christian. It's a way of presenting, making witness to, testifying to, explaining what is the gospel in such a way, trying to see someone converted to the faith that you have in Christ. Gospel means it's the good news. Literally, the the word means good news. It's a good definition of the gospel, helpful for us. God's salvation of sinners by the obedience and sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, There's going to be uh, many stories, I'm sure that if we had time to present and collect uh, stories of our personal attempts of personal evangelism, many of them, if we're honest, if they were caught on camera, uh, we feel like they would have belonged on America's Funniest Home Videos, where we blumber and stumble through our words and Weird things come out, and we're not sure where we're going. Quite often, maybe, or maybe it's just me, I feel inadequate for the task and the mission. I suspect you do too. You think of many reasons why not to engage in personal evangelism. You don't want to say the wrong thing. You don't think you've been a Christian long enough, maybe. Maybe you just recognize that you're not as gifted. Look, we've all been there. And the truth is that I am not adequate in and of myself, and you are not adequate in and of yourself for the mission before us. The Apostle Paul says as much in this letter. As they are critiquing his ministry, he says, yeah, look at me. I'm I'm a jar of clay. I am weak but it's to display God's power through me. The apostle acknowledges that he is, in and of himself, inadequate. 
but by the Spirit, He has been made adequate minister of the new covenant. And so, it is the Word of God that equips you and I to witness for Christ. And it is the Spirit of God that makes your witness effective. So this morning, let's be trained and equipped from these two verses. So think about the message and the mission. We begin with the mission in verse 20. I want us to see three lessons from verse 20. You are to give witness to what you've experienced. That's the first lesson. The second, you're, you are not the message, but the messenger. And the third, that you are to seek to convince. Three things about our mission. We give witness to what we have experienced. You are to tell of what you personally know. That's what the Apostle Paul says of his own ministry as an ambassador here in verse 20. It begins with, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That therefore is pointing us back to the previous verses and what he said in verses 18 and 19. He lays out that in verses 18 and 19, this is what he is an ambassador for. So let's look at those verses. Hopefully you left your Bible open. Let's read them again. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And that's where he picks up in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is the first thing he says about his ambassadorship? That the message that he relays, he first has experienced. Verse 18, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. First, he knew this good news. What does the word reconciliation mean? Simply, it's to restore a relationship. And so the Apostle Paul is pointing us to a wonderful truth in our mission to tell others about Christ. We are not sent out as strangers to the very message that we tell. We have firsthand knowledge of the power of the gospel. Think about it. If you're a Christian here today, you've experienced the conviction of sin. And you were led to the cross to see there, the Savior nailed for human sin, nailed to a cross for the sins of others. And you know what it is like to look to that cross and have your guilt removed as you place your trust in the Savior. So you've experienced reconciliation. You are no longer hostile to God. You're not hostile to Him or his holiness, you now love him. You're no longer his enemy. You're no longer a rebel. You're now welcomed as a friend of God. But can we say it's more than a friend? You've been reconciled to God in such a way that you're now part of his family. You're his child through his son. So now... You know, God is Father. 
And you come to know him as a good, gracious, generous, compassionate, gentle, and kind heavenly father. You're no longer a child of wrath. You're a child of the heavenly father. So as we go out, we tell others about Christ, we approach them as a sinner. Sinner saved by grace. There's a sense in which we arrive on common ground with every person we say and say, yes, you are a sinner and so am I. But the difference is that I've come to know the grace of God through his son. And that's what I want to tell you about. We don't share the gospel theoretically. We share it out of our experience. What we believe we know to be true because we have experienced the blessedness of having access to God through his son and no longer being at war with him, but at peace with him, having bowed the knee to King Jesus. Now, this is wonderful news. It's, it's, we just sang about it earlier. Come behold the wondrous mystery. But you and I, oftentimes, we're not watchful. We shrink back from opportunities to minister to others and to tell them of the good news. And how, what, what reason? Well, one of the reasons is that sometimes we find ourselves in a place of indifference. Now, it's probably not intentional indifference. It's indifference that comes from just living life. It may be from busyness, from distraction. The semester work is piling up. And so you find yourself becoming more and more indifferent to this wondrous mystery. It could be that projects at work are piling up and the workday keeps extending beyond 5 o'clock and it starts earlier and earlier each day. And you find yourself consumed with it. It could be youth sports. Young people, it could be something you're competing in cross-country and you keep getting personal records and better times. It could be that you're driving kids to youth sports, it feels like, all the time. Life is busy and you find yourself growing indifferent. It could be remodeling projects and it could be unintentional, unplanned remodeling projects that happen in your home that are consuming your thought space and your, between your ears every day. We're in the fall. Saturdays in the fall. I know for some of you, like me, they're very exciting Saturdays in the fall. And I know that many of you in here today are feeling pretty good about yesterday because no matter who you were cheering for in this state, whether they were the blue team or the green team, your team won yesterday. And also, the team in crimson and white lost yesterday. And so a lot of people are feeling pretty good about college football right now. Confession, sometimes I need to be very careful that I don't get more excited about Saturday than Sunday. I need to be reminded, I need to redirect my heart, because Jesus is so much better than football. He really is. But yet, we could be distracted 
and drawn away. Everyone's busy. There's all things vying for attention. Would you this morning pause and consider, if you're a believer, you've been reconciled to God. Maybe you need to pray with David in Psalm 51. Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Having sinned much and had much forgiven, we cannot love enough and cannot too plainly tell the story of our dear master's grace. We give witness to what we have experienced, but it's very helpful here to notice that while we give witness to it, we ourselves are not the entirety of the message. In fact, it's plain from the text that you are not the message, but the messenger. The messenger's life is to bear fruit of the work and the power of the message, but the Apostle Paul saw himself as a messenger and not the message itself. And that's where he uses the identity of an ambassador, the work of an ambassador. What is an ambassador? It is a messenger and a representative of someone else or another state, kingdom. The ambassador in their role as an ambassador does not speak in their own name. They speak on the behalf of another. The authority to which they say something is not their own. The ambassador does not communicate their own opinion. And this is how the apostle described his work as an apostle. Now, to be clear, the Christian is not an ambassador the same way that the apostles were ambassadors. Paul himself received his message directly from the Lord by revelation, it says in Galatians. That he was personally led to Christ by Christ on the road to Damascus and then personally given a gospel message to relay. And so we do not go to God in seeking that he would give us a special revelation then to deliver as his messengers. The message has been inscripturated, it's been recorded, it's been preserved. And so our work as ambassadors is to then relay what the apostles then gave to us. And to be sure that we do play different roles in that. That pastors and elders play different roles and different people within the congregation in the work of evangelism are more gifted. And some may be set aside for that work. But there's a general sense that every believer walks this earth as an ambassador of the Savior. This is important for us to embrace because in the what seems to be a daunting task of trying to explain the gospel to others, sometimes we feel woefully unprepared and quickly out of our depth. We feel like maybe we'd be helped if we knew philosophy better and we could speak to the deep things and to deep thinkers. Maybe we feel like we'd be helped if we were an expert in debate tactics and understood carefully the rules of logic and we could present our case 
in that way. But that's not required of an ambassador. What's required of the ambassador is to take the message that they've been given and to faithfully pass it on. And it's important to recognize that we are not the mediator between God and man when we speak to others about Christ. We are the messenger of Christ who is the mediator. And the encouragement here is that he speaks through his ambassadors. And our duty remains to be faithful to the message we've been entrusted with. But as it is his design that he would speak through his ambassadors, the passage here in verse 20 tells us that we are not just simply to present the facts of the gospel, give the narrative explanation, and just leave it. We are to then seek to persuade. We are to seek to convince. That's part of the ambassador's role. It's part of the wonder and privilege of being Christ's ambassadors. There it says in the passage, look at the second full phrase there in verse 20. God making his appeal through us. That the message that comes through us produces something. It's intended to have an action. And this is quite different than we see from the, the work of ambassadors in the world today. Ambassadors serve an important role speaking between nations. And they can be the, the means by which treaties are made and peace is then uh, solidified between different nations. But God intends his ambassadors to be those who go in to another kingdom, if you would, present the message of their king, and then to bring back citizens from that kingdom into another kingdom. That is God's design and his mission for us. We come with a message from our king and we are seeking to bring others out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And God has given us minds, and He's given us the gift of language, and so we speak in human language to human minds, but in this passage, it's more than just seeking to convince the mind and the intellect, but we're truly to aim for the heart of others. There. We implore you on behalf of Christ. That word implore comes with this imperative to seek to persuade someone else to do so, to beg. Older translations of this verse would say, we pray you, because that's one of the ways that the implore, the, the Greek word can be translated as as prayer. So it helps us understand that what, what do we do as ambassadors? Well, in prayer, we're crying out to God, and as his messengers, then we're, we're crying out to others and say, come know this Christ. Come see the Savior. We're ambassadors to the mind and to the heart, and our message is there, the last part of verse 20, be reconciled to God. Now, it's very important to see that as we show the sinner their sin, 
that then the task isn't now that you have seen your sin, now you go and reconcile yourself to God. That was not Paul's message to sinners. That's equivalent to saying something like this, like, okay, with enough regret, you can be reconciled to God. That if you do enough penance, if you show enough remorse for the things that you've done that is wrong, God, you can be reconciled to him. That's not the gospel message. That remorse, regret, does not do away with the guilt of our sin. We cannot say to someone, reconcile yourself to God by a life of service and good works and acts of kindness and generosity. Those are good things, but it will not pay the debt of our sin. We cannot reconcile ourselves to God just by religious devotion even. That bringing worship for the sake of trying to merit and earn salvation is empty worship because God is worthy of our worship just because he is who he is. And so that is not our message to go to sinners and say, reconcile yourself to God in this way. It is no, be reconciled. It's an odd phrasing because it's in the passive. It's not something that we accomplish, but it's pointing us to something that God has accomplished. And so we're seeking to persuade others to embrace the reconciliation that God has already accomplished through the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. All that is necessary for any sinner to know God as Father has been taken care of. It is finished. It is a past work. It is something that is done. And so we can say, be reconciled to God. Here is the offer. Would you receive it? And this is a great encouragement to us that we know that we are offering a valid offer because Jesus has done all that is required that sinners might be cleansed and might be brought into the family of God. Oh, in this verse, there is an encouragement that as we go out and tell others about Christ, the Lord is with us, but it is more than that. He has done what is necessary, and then he will use the witness of his people to rescue sinners from damnation and hell. He is designed to use our witness, empowered by the Spirit, to bring sinners home to God. That's the encouragement in our mission. That we share what we have come to know in Christ that we have good news that is not our news, but it is the sure news, the apostolic message, and that God will use our meager, sometimes stumbling, bumbling witness to Jesus to persuade and convince and to bring sinners from death to life. Let us now transition our thought to think about verse 21. 
And in verse 21, we, we hear a, a summation of, of the gospel message in one verse. It's one of the most powerful summaries of the Christian message in all of Scripture here in verse 21. Let's look back at it again. Here is the ambassador's message. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here, there's several things to notice about the message. First, it is clear that it is God that required reconciliation. It's not just a matter of that man has run from God. It's that God has condemned us in our sin, has judged us, and that he is the offended and aggrieved party. And so God must be reconciled to man. Now the word reconciliation is is helpful because it speaks of a restored relationship. And so it, it would seem that one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul chose to uh, characterize his message as an ambassador for Christ with using this word is that it, it really does point us back to the very beginning, doesn't it? That if there's to be a restored relationship, there had to be a relationship. And that it points us to the communion and fellowship that man was created to know and enjoy with his creator. And that was forfeited and lost in man's rebellion and sin and fall. But it's not a matter of Adam and Eve believing the lie of the serpent and then willfully leaving the garden on their own. They immediately have a sense of their shame and their guilt. But it is God, it is God who banishes them from the garden. It is God who expels them from the garden. It is God who says, because of your sin, you are not welcome here anymore. It is God who places the cherubim with the flaming swords and guards the way back into the garden. He says, no, it's not just a matter of you have turned on me, but I am turning on you. It is God who requires reconciliation. And in this passage and in the scriptures, we see that as he expels Adam and Eve from the garden, he does point them to the day that he himself will take the initiative and that he himself will make a way of reconciliation for sinners. So there in verse 21, for our sake, he made him. God the Father made the Son, the substitute for sin. Consider the work of the substitute that is laid out for us in this passage. God made him to be sin. It's very important to see the suffering of the Son. Jesus was not made sinful on our behalf. 
but he was made to be sin. And here, in this passage, it's not even speaking of Christ being an offering for sin, but it's, it's more intense than that. It is, he was made sin, that is, to be the object of God's judgment for sin in the place of sinners. John Owen helpfully put it this way, whatever the justice of God, the law of God, whatever the threatenings of God did require to be inflicted as a punishment for sin, Christ underwent it all. He underwent it all. And only he could. Only he could suffer in the place of sinners because of his innocence. There it says that he knew no sin. Jesus himself did not die for his. It was for the sins of others. And the scriptures are very careful to teach us explicitly that Jesus did not sin. Jesus on his own lips in John chapter 8, verse 46, looks at his opponents and says, which of you convicts me of sin? And then in Luke's gospel, as he is coming to the cross to be the sin bearer, to make sure that none of his readers would be confused about why Jesus is dying, why is he receiving this punishment, Luke makes it very careful to show us that first on the lips of Pontius Pilate, the man condemning him judicially to capital punishment on a cross says there's no guilt in him. I don't see any guilt in him. And yet, because it was the Father's plan, it works out and he is sent to the cross to die as a substitute. And there on the cross, being hung there between two criminals, one of the criminals next to him, who was previously mocking him, realizes this man is innocent. And there is a criminal on the cross declaring his innocence. And then a centurion soldier, a Roman centurion, standing at the foot of the cross, gives praise to God and says, this man was truly innocent. Because he wasn't dying for his own transgressions. He was dying for the transgressions of others. God, who required reconciliation, taking the initiative, sending his son and placing on his son, his innocent son, the guilt and judgment deserved by sin. It is his suffering, his innocence, but it's also his merit that is the good news that is proclaimed by the ambassadors of Christ. It is his done so that, the last part of that verse in verse 20, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is an exchange of records. The record of sin for his record of righteousness. The righteousness of God. His perfect purity and sinless record is obedience exchanged. This is the message that we bring. The wonderful message of substitution. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, he, he lays out that the Bible is very clear, that the only way that anyone could be saved is that there was someone to die in their place for their sins. And that's what the apostle lays out 
here in this passage and in other places. And John Stott points out that there are several words in our New Testament that help us understand what happens in this exchange. We see one of them in this passage in verse 21, justification. Justification is one of the New Testament words for what Jesus accomplished in dying in the place of sinners. The justification of sinners, that all that would receive and rest upon him alone would be pardoned and be treated as righteous because of his righteousness. And so justification, that term comes with this image of a courtroom. Or we could even say the throne room as we sang earlier today. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. What is it? It's not, it's not, it's not my record, it's his record. That's why any of us are justified. And then one of the other words in the New Testament for, for, that helps us understand the substitution that Christ did for his people in their place is the word propitiation. That is the appeasing of, of God's wrath. And it does point to the, the sin offerings and the day of atonement in the temple. And it's the image of being offered in the place and the shedding of blood. There's the word redemption that points us to that we are enslaved to our sin and God comes and frees us from those chains. But the fourth word is the word that Paul seems to want to use in this passage to summarize his message as an ambassador for Christ. It's the word reconciliation. And it's so wonderful, as we said, it points us to what's being restored through the work of Christ. But there's a beautiful image that comes with it. And we've been kind of hitting, hinting at it so far, but it's the image of a family. That's what's being restored that's what we are reconciled to. Is God is Father. It's the image of a table that because Jesus was made sin, the one who knew no sin, and now those who are in him are made the righteousness of God, what do we do with that? What well, means we have access to God, unbroken, never changing, permanent access brought into the family of God, never to be expelled again. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here with us today. And I think you may have a lot to think about and a lot to consider. The offer is for you. Be reconciled to God. As the prophet Isaiah said, come, now let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Because for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Be reconciled to God. Dear brother and sister in Christ, my prayer is that this is encouraging you in the mission before us. And really, this, this message has one point for us today, really. I really want you just to see, I want to be pressed home in your heart and mind that we have a wonderful message, and this message 
comes with a mission, and it always comes with a mission. That when we embrace the gospel, we are entrusted with a mission to spread the good news. Robert Murray McShane uh, pointed out two things. He said, for the Christian, there are two things that you cannot be too passionate about. There are two things that you can't get too excited about. That if you keep growing in enthusiasm in these two things, that's, that's important. And that is what we're intended to do. His, his two things that he identified were this. One was personal holiness. That we can never become too excited about growing more like Christ. The other thing he said that we cannot express too much passion over is the honor of Jesus and the salvation of souls. I bring that up because it's helpful. It's orienting for us. To what end do we go out? Well, it's not ultimately for ourselves. It's not ultimately for the person we're sharing with. Though we are filled with compassion and love and are crying out for their salvation, it is ultimately for the honor of the one who died for sinners and rose again. For the honor of Christ and the salvation of souls. That's what propels us out on mission. Amen. Let us pray. Our great and wonderful God, may we be gripped by the cross and may we be empowered by your Spirit. May we go forth with joy and boldness, delighting in the Savior, desiring the salvation of friends, family members, children, co-workers, our roommates, our neighbors. Lord, all those that you would put in our path and may be beyond that, that our hearts are so gripped by the gospel that we seek out others, not only those that providentially would be in our way, but that, Lord, we would be propelled and compelled in mission to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would do this work in our lives, send us forth by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.